All right, we are live. Hi, everyone. Let me know if you can hear me in the live chat. Let me know if the audio is good so we could get started. I want to, there are a lot of people on Twitter and everywhere else talk about that, talk about Quran in a way that I think is not very uh, nuanced. And a lot of people are in, in, in response to the attacks in Israel, you know, the Hamas attacks in Israel. There are a lot of people now that are converting to Islam, especially in the West. So, and I see a lot of these people are reading the Quran and enjoying it and think that it's very loving and peaceful. Um, and the way that I notice online that the way that they are analyzing the verses of the Quran is very, very, I don't know, shallow. And it's, I just think like there needs to be a deeper dive. I know there are, there are already a lot of YouTube channels that go and explain how horrible some of the verses in the Quran are and how complicated some of them um, are when it comes to... And some, some of them are actually pretty straightforward and some of them are a little bit more complicated uh, to analyze. But when it comes to Islam being pro-violence and uh, pro-aggression, uh, I don't think you there... I don't think there is that much of a <laughs> um, ambiguity there. It's pretty straightforward. And I know there are a lot of people, especially modern scholars, have tried to make this a lot more complicated than it needs to be, even though I do understand that the understanding the Quranic literature and the historical context and everything around that, there's a lot of details into that. But they use that as an excuse, as a way to cast out in all the pro-violence verses in the Quran. Um, I'm trying to look at these verses and acknowledge the com the complexity of it, but also show that even with the complexity, it's pretty straightforward. What is the uh, the the fact that it, we are justified to get a pro-aggression, pro-violence understanding of these verses of the Quran? That part is pretty straightforward, and the complexity around understanding the history the historical context and the linguistic context of the verses does not make it unjustified for us, for anybody that reads the Quran to come up with a message of aggression towards non-Muslim from a lot of these verses. I'll try to make that case. And I know um, there's already other people who have read these verses in many different languages. I'm like, oh my God, look, this is aggressive. This is a violence. And then there's, there's already a lot of people Muslims who try to defend Islam and try to act like it's not violent and say like, oh, no, 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 you're not understanding the context where in which these verses were revealed. I want to try to look at these verses in a way that acknowledges both of that, both of those things, right? So look at people saying, hey, yes, we can hear you. Great, fantastic. Thank you. Let me just look at some of these verses together, right? And try to also come up with, you know, the defense that a lot of people have. So the main verse that people talk about most of the time is this one. And I'll come up, I'll show you three other verses as well. And we'll just try to go over them and try to try to make sense of them as much as we can. Right. So let me bring the analysis here. Okay. All right, so let's look at Surah Toba, verse 5. You can see it on the screen here, right? Um, and again, I have different translations here. I think I have too many translations. Let me reduce some of the translations. So when I want to look at translations, I try to um, have a good mix of yeah, I think Pictal is good, Sahih International for a, you know, a little bit more whitewash version, and Abdul Halim is also good. But why am I seeing so many translations? I'm already picking three. I'm only picking three. Okay, now it's three. All right, so let's look at three translations. And again, you guys could go look at all these other translations. I think these three is a good mix. For me, this is always a good mix. Pictal, Sahih International, and Abdul Halim, right? Um, and again, I'm not trying to pick the the ones that are the most aggressive, okay? Because if I was doing that, I wouldn't pick Sahih International. Okay, I'm not trying to be biased here. I'm I'm 
I'm trying to pick a good mix of, you know, this is the most, one of the, the most famous whitewash version would be Sahih International. The most literal one, the most famous literal one would be Pictal. And Halim is my own personal favorite. So that's why I'm picking these three. But if you guys think that there is another one, that another good translation that I should pick, let me know in the live chat and I'll pick that one as well. But these are my, I don't like Pictol, I don't like Say International, but these are very famous ones, these two. That's why I picked them and I picked Abdul, uh, um, Abdul Halim as well. All right, so let's look at these translations. Let's look at Sahih International. This is the one that most people go to. Anyways, right? So this is, again, this is uh, Surah 9, Ayah 5, or basically Surah 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 5, or Surah Toba, um, Ayah, Ayah, 9, uh, Ayah 5. So let's. this is a very famous verse. And it says, and when the, it's called the sword verses, right? And when the... Okay, so, and when the forbidden, I don't know what this one is, inviolable. Okay, I, uh, so here is forbidden. And when the inviolable months have have passed, again, and there's a, here's an explanation for what that is. The four, the four months mentioned in the verse two, in which the disbelievers were allowed free movement within the land, right? So it says, and when the forbidden months have passed, right? So this is in the context of Muslims waging war at the months that was that was custom not to fight so before islam came there were four months where the disbelievers just agreed uh not fight to not fight so they were allowed to freely move in the land and they were basically everywhere was secure so the quran says and when the forbidden months have passed then kill the polytheists wherever you find them and capture them and besiege them and sit in, uh, and sit in, wait, and sit in, wait for them at every place of ambush. But if they should repent, establish prayer, and give zakah, uh, let them go on their way. Indeed, Allah is forgiving and merciful. Okay, no, this is about a different agreement. So the the forbidden months that I'm talking about, that's that's coming up in the other verse that I'm talking about. No, no, these are the sacred months. Yes, when the sacred months have passed. Yeah, these are about the forbidden months that you're not supposed to do any fights with, uh, any fights with. But there's another verse that I might bring up today that shows that there are situations where these like months that you're not supposed to fight in, Allah says that you know what, um, you could fight there as well, and um, given the situation at hand. But again, it doesn't matter. The whole point is the the language of this verse. Right? Then kill the polytheists wherever you find them, and capture them, and besiege them and sit and wait for them at every place of ambush. Uh, but if they should repent, es establish prayer, and give zakah, let them go on their way. Indeed, Allah is forgiving and merciful. Right. So let's read another translation. So before we re read another translation, let's look at what this verse is seemingly saying. Seemingly saying. Look at Let's look at the worst-case scenario and the best-case scenario. The worst-case scenario here is... God is saying that people who are not Muslim, like people who are mushrikeen, again, here's a problem with this word as well. Mushrikeen is being translated as polytheists here, but mushrikeen are basically whoever does shirk. And the how you define shirk is a subject of great debate in Islam. So here it translates as idolaters, idolaters. So mushrik comes from the word shirk, Shirk means to associate partners with Allah. So the most traditional understanding of who a polytheist is, is basically somebody who worships an idol, um, which is also nonsense because technically people didn't worship the idols. They worshiped the gods and the idols were a representative of those gods, but we're not going to get into those details. But here's a problem with this English translation. It doesn't, the polytheist or idolater doesn't really capture the meaning of mushrik. Mushrik, like shirk, sharaka, this, the root Arabic word here is shirk or shereke, and which means to associate partners with. So, for example, sharik means a partner in Arabic and Persian. Um, so that would open the, this translation to mean very many different things. So if you want to limit 
what mushrik really means, like want to limit not to be able to associate the enemies of Muslims. Uh, you don't want to ex- make that umbrella very wide so that it's limited to the number of people that you're supposed to be fighting. Then you could translate it to anybody who basically worships an idol. This is very dangerous, for example, for Hindus. Hindus will be considered idolaters. Um, Zoroastrians will be considered idolaters. And Christians who uh, have, you know, use the cross or have a, a statue of Jesus uh, in their churches, they will be considered idolaters, poly- polytheists. Um, but that, that would be the most limited uh, definition of this word. Um, of this word mushrik but if you want to be more inclusive in your hate uh, and you know show aggression to a wider group of people um mushrik uh, or who's whoever associates partners with allah could be translated into anybody who prioritizes anything over allah right so if you for example love the dunya over the akharat like like focus on this world uh, rather than the next one like you have you celebrate certain politicians celebrities music wealth money anything um soccer you know sports if you're into sports a lot um whatever you prioritize yourself you you know you worship people say you worship money you worship wealth you worship power you worship uh, fame uh, technically, you are um, able to, and many people historically have considered that to be also shirk, right? If you, um, if you use or mention anything that is at any in any way associated with what mushriks would do, technically you could be a polytheist. Again, so this is the problem what we have with Quranic verses because it doesn't, you know, you can see that the, there are footnotes here. But the Quran itself never came with footnotes. Um, it's supposed to be a complete book, uh, which kind of contradicts the understanding that you need the tafsir and the hadith and the shana nuzul and all of that to be able to make sense of it. So it's not a complete book if you need the hadith to be able to make sense of it. But it doesn't itself come with footnotes. And you could see historically Islamic Arab-speaking, native Arab-speaking Islamic scholars have had major disagreements about what to, how to translate these words and how to understand them, right? But what we are trying to understand here today is not necessarily what is the best translation, but the the possible translation, possible understandings. And again, I'm not I'm not telling this to you as somebody who's just translating the Arabic text and trying to understand the translation. I'm telling the, all of this to you as somebody um, who has read and studied the, what Arab-speaking, native Arab-speaking scholars have said about these verses throughout history. Again, I'm not saying that um, I com- have completely memorized everything. I ha- they, you know, I've read them, you know, and there's a lot of disagreement. There's a lot of infighting, and I haven't memorized every single um explanation they have had about these verses but i have read enough to understand that even people who speak and understand arabic very well and have studied these verses their entire life and their entire work is to do um study the quran and study islam they have are not consistent many times about how they understand these verses and how they um and their interpretation of it so that means that Given that a scholar, an Islamic scholar that you know speaks Arabic, breathes Arabic, um, when we see they have certain translations, certain understanding of these verses that they seem to be uh, justified, a justified interpretation, that would make it a justified interpretation. Even if you think like, no, what Allah here means is something else. Given that there's so many Arab-speaking scholars that have interpreted the uh, interpret the verse in that way that means that would be a justified interpretation or else and if it's not then what is allah is supposed to what are we supposed to do what are we supposed to do uh, if you're if allah has sent us this message if if somebody like that who has studied the quran that much and speaks arabic came has came up with that 
come up with that understanding and they've got it wrong, then it's an unreasonable expectation from Allah for us to have a different understanding of this verse. Because obviously that inter that person coming up with that interpretation means that would be a justified interpretation. So just wanted to sh tell you about how complicated it is sometimes understanding what Allah is supposed to mean by polytheists here. Um, and, and again, a lot of people say, well, I mean, like if you look at the in the context of when, how this verse was revealed, it's obviously talking about specific idolaters at that time where Muhammad, it, 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 within the, where Muhammad was at war, uh, at war with. But again, what these other Arab speaking scholars will tell you was that obviously the Quran is not just talking about that war at that time. What would be the point? Like the the whole point of the Quran is for you to learn something from it. So obviously, yes, the verse is coming to to the Arab, uh, to those to those Arab tribes, to Muhammad's followers, to Muhammad himself, and a message to his followers at that time. But it's also the, as we are told by the Quran, and as we are told by Muhammad you know, by the Hadith and by Muslims is that there's supposed to be a teaching in all of this to all of us um, and for all time, for all places and all time, right? So you cannot, when when when, ta when God is using the word mushrikeen here, and mushrik means whoever associates partners with Allah, and we are supposed to be understanding that this is supposed to have a message for us, even if we are not at that time in that war, then we are justified to believe that, okay, so this is, what is this? This is a guideline for what we're supposed to do at other times as well. Or else what would be the point of this verse? And again, this is not my reasoning. This is, again, the reasoning of many Islamic scholars, Arab-speaking, native Arab-speaking Islamic scholars. So given that we are made to understand that there is a lesson here for us um, in at other times, we have to think about, okay, so then what do we mean by mushrikin? Who's all, who are these mushrikins? When you say, kill the polytheists wherever you find them, well, if you're talking about, you know, Qureshi idolaters, well, I don't have them here anymore. So this is, I'm just, as a Muslim, I would be justified to think, well, this is not just talking about them. It's talking about mushrikin in general, whoever is associating partners with Allah in general, not that specific idolaters at that time i mean you could still say i'm wrong about this but you cannot say that this that you do not see the justification for me to believe that right so you're supposed to find them capture them besiege them kill kill the police yes wherever you find them and capture them and besiege them uh besiege them and sit and wait for them basically at, at every place of ambush but if they should repent, now here's an important part. Yeah, DSNI in life said poor Hindus. Yeah, because this is even to into the, even if you want to limit what mushrikeen means to idol worshippers, that would include based on Islamic understanding of who is an idol worshipper to Hindus. So if even if the Jews and Christians will be safe, the Hindus will not. So imagine how many Hindus we have today and what this verse means about that. But here's an important part. And again, I will look at the other two translations that we have here as well. But again, we're focusing on Sahih International because it's very important for us to use the most common translation. And also, guys, another one important thing to understand, whenever you see something in brackets and whenever you see the translation uh, providing a footnote, it's basically an admission, in my opinion, that the Quran is not complete. Right, so you can see here, we in Sahih International, we have a footnote here that explains to you what these um, forbidden months are, and you can see here in bracket, you see go. So this go is not basically because it's in bracket, it means it's not in the actual verse. So it needed to add that for you for clarity, uh, which means that verse itself was not clear enough. And again, you can see here, for example, you see a bracket four here. And you see, you see another bracket here. You can see a parenthesis here. These are all admissions that the word of God is not complete and it's not clear enough. So again, so let's go to the second part of this verse, which is key, which is very key. 
It says, but if they should repent, establish prayer, and give zakah, let them go on their way. Indeed, Allah is forgiving and merciful. What are these things? Establish prayer, repent, give zakah. These are some of the five pillars of Islam. You know, this is Salah, establish prayer. Let me see if in the, yeah, so see, like even in the Arabic text, you can see it's using the word Salah. So this is the, one of the five pillars of Islam. And here you can see Zakah, or in Persia we say Zakat. See, Zakah here. That's another five pillars of Islam. So repent, Toba. right? So these are, what does this mean? Do you understand what this means? Because we have verses, again, and I understand that we have other verses that a lot of people who want to show that Islam is not um, promoting aggression, uh, that whenever you do, whenever you are not fighting Muslims, they will not fight back, right? There are verses, I, I'm going to fully admit here, that there are verses that if you focus on those, it does seem to suggest that as long as you're not fighting with Muslims, they will not fight back. Okay, that's true. Those verses agree, exist, and you could focus on those verses. But then we have verses like this. Even if you think what I'm saying is a misinterpretation, you have to admit that it, reading this verse, you would be justified to believe. Again as many Muslims have been believing based on this verse, that as long as they are not abiding by Islamic standards, as long as they have not accepted Islam, or as at least Islamic rules, Islamic way of life, Islamic, like as long as they're not submitting to Sharia, again, see, they have to establish prayer and give zakah. Then let them go on their way. It's not telling you here that let them go on their way if they're not fighting you. They have to do Islam. So we have verses in the Quran that says there is no compulsion in religion. But then we have a verse here that says that you should let them go be on their way only if they submit to Islam. You can see the two of the five pillars of Islam is required at least for you to let them go. How do you how do you explain the contradiction when it comes to the verse that it says there's no compulsion in religion? And we have another verse here that says uh, let them go if they repent, establish prayer, and give zakah. These are all Islam. The the verse in the Quran that says that says there's no compulsion in religion, it's about becoming Muslim. What I and it's true, Islam, as long as you're Ahlul Kitab, as long as you you technically don't have to become a Muslim, you don't have to believe in Allah and Muhammad and all of that. But you do have to abide by Islamic rules. So, again, it's very important to you, for you to understand the, the difference. It's true that in Islam there's no compulsion in religion, but the compulsion that that compulsion that is that they that doesn't exist in Islam is the compulsion for you to convert to Islam. But there is compulsion in abiding by Islamic rules. So, for example, this verse doesn't tell you to be Muslim. To believe, to be a mu'min, for example. And again, I know there's difference between being a Muslim and being a mu'min if you look at the entirety of the context of the Quran, but we're not getting into too much detail right now here. It's just act, telling you to make sure that you act in a certain way. So it's kind of fake it till, till you make it kind of deal. So there is, there's no compulsion in your religion, but there is compulsion in your behavior. You have to follow our rules. You have to submit to Islam. Even if you're not a Muslim, you have to kind of submit, even though I know Muslim means submitting. So here's another thing. The word, the way we use as Muslim right now, for us to, in modern times, Muslim and Muslim kind of mean the same thing because a Muslim is whoever somebody believes in Islam. 
But if you if you read the Quran, you will see that a Muslim is not necessarily a mu'min. A Muslim is just somebody who submits. A mu'min is somebody who has iman, who has faith. But we talk so what what the Quran expects the compulsion is for you to be a Muslim, but not in the Muslim in the sense that you believe. The compulsion is that you're supposed to submit. Like Muslim means somebody who submits. And it's just only in the modern understanding of what a Muslim is for us is somebody who believes in Islam. We call them a Muslim. But the Quran did not intend to use these words this way. The Quran refers to the people who have, believe in Muhammad and his and his God and his revelation. They refers to them as mu'mins. Right? These are people who are just submitting. They just have no choice. They have been forced to submit. So again, it's very important for you to understand that even though there is no compulsion for you to have to believe in Allah, there is compulsion in submitting to Allah. Do you understand the difference here? Let me know, guys, if you uh, disagree. Soha is here. I know Soha uh, knows these, uh, know, uh, speaks Arabic and understands these very well. So let me know if you, my, you guys are my interpretation. Again, this is not my interpretation. Even if this is wrong, you have to understand these are the interpretation of many, many Arab-speaking scholars throughout history. And only in recent years, in, like in modern times, a lot of people have, have tried to come up with ways to uh, change the understanding of a lot of these verses. I mean, even back then they had disagreements, but the main, the whitewashing, the, the most recent whitewashing of these verses um, to make them agree to our modern standards are a lot more recent. So let me just look at the two other translations just in case we're missing something here. So this is Abdul Halim. It says, when the four forbidden months are over, wherever you encounter the idolaters, kill them, seize them, besiege them, wait for them at every lookout post. But if they turn to God, again, to God is in brackets. So, but if they turn, Maintain the prayer and pay the prescribed alms. Uh, the prescribed alms. This is zakat, basically. Let them go on their way, for God is most forgiving and merciful. That is Abdul Halim. And let's go look to Pictal. Pictal says, "Then, when the sacred months have passed, slay the idolaters wherever you find them, and take them captive, and besiege them, and prepare for them each uh, ambush." Prepare for them each ambush. Um, prepare for them at each, basically saying at each hiding, like hiding, hide and attack them everywhere, everywhere you can. And then it says, but if they repent and establish worship and pay the uh, poor due, this is zakat and basically salah, the two of the five pillars of Islam, then leave their way free. Lo, Allah is forgiving and merciful. So again, understand that the condition is not. The condition for you to be left alone is not for you. Uh, it's not for you not to be attacking Muslims. So it's not like if you don't attack Muslims, we leave you alone. It's for you to submit to Islam, then we will leave you alone. Is this verse is very clear? It's not. Again, I repeat. I repeat what I'm saying here because it's very important. The ver this verse is telling you that the condition for Muslims not to be attacking and killing you is not for you to. Stop attacking Muslims. Not attacking Muslims is not enough for us, for Muslims, not to go and find you and kill you. You have to submit to Islam. That's what this verse is saying. Now, I want to be fair here. What if we talk about the context where this verse has been uh, revealed? This was the year after the conquest of Mecca. Right. Um, so people, somebody who wants to speak like Armin, no, you have to understand that this verse was given at a specific situation. You cannot take this message from this verse and say like, okay, Muslims therefore are supposed to attack polytheists and idolaters and mushrikeen in general wherever they find them. This is this was about the Meccans who right after uh, they were they agreed with Muhammad 
not to fight. They had a treaty. They had an agreement with Muhammad, and they betrayed that that agreement. This has always been used as an excuse for Muhammad. If you look at the story, if you look at read the Sirah of Muhammad, and if you read the Hadith, every time Muhammad starts attacking and massacring people or um, telling Muslims to go fight them and kill them, they come up with an excuse that we had an agreement and you betrayed this agreement. But if you actually go look at the stories, you can see that the the, the agreements that were betrayed, the, agree, the agreements that they went back on, whether it was the Jews in Banu Gareza or here it was the Meccans, uh, they come up with the weirdest excuses. Like somebody somewhere has to do something um, and everything is now up in the air. So you have an entire tribe of people, for example, either the Banu Gareza Jews or the Meccans, that everybody is supposed to be on their best behavior. And as soon as one person somewhere does something that slightly betrays the agreement, then Muhammad goes full on attack mode on the entire tribe. Um, here, fortunately, when Muhammad eventually attacked Mecca, he didn't massacre everyone in Mecca, even though he did kill a couple of people. But it seemed like, based on the verse itself, they were preparing to do so, right? They were preparing to do something like that. Uh, we got a super chat by Blade. Thank you so much, Blade. Blade is saying, Muslims lie to non-Muslims by saying jihad is spiritual struggle, but Quran is very clear about jihad being fight in the cause of Allah. Yeah, I mean, within the context of the... By the way, not all Muslims, so let's just not generalize when we talk about Muslims, but thank you so much, Blade. Um yeah, the whole idea of jihad being spiritual struggle, like the Quran doesn't speak about jihad in that way. If you if you read the uh, the Quran and how within the context of the Quran, jihad is about actual warfare, physical warfare, not spiritual warfare. I understand that there's a lot of hadith about spiritual warfare and jihad, uh, but the Quran itself, which is the core of Islam, uh, when it's talking about jihad, it's talking about, you know, violence. So what I was getting at, uh, what was I getting at? I was getting at this. Okay, yeah. So even if you look at the context, you have to put yourself in the position of Allah, right? Is this the verse that you would put in your book, in the Quran? If you wanted to make sure that the reader doesn't understand that they should they shouldn't be going full on stabby stabby at every mushrik or every one who associate partners with Allah unless they submit to Islam. Like, let's be charitable to the Muslims who say, "Look, look, this verse was specifically about the Meccans, specifically about the Meccans." And this is this does not mean that we are supposed to go on and kill every single idolater that we find everywhere. And, and remember, this is a, a Medina verse, like Medani verse. These are some verses in the Quran that came out much later. So if you believe in the abrogation process, if you believe that the later verses in the Quran cancels out the earlier verses, well, this one is as... Um, as late as you could get. This is like pretty much way after Muhammad's uh, migration to Yasrib or Medina. So it, if you had verses before that keeps telling you to not, don't fight them uh, if they're not fighting you, well, this is a later verse that tells you to fight them and kill them wherever you find them unless they submit to Islam, basically. So what are you going to do with this verse? The only way that you could suggest that the Quran is not promoting full-on aggression, even if people are not fighting you, is to suggest that this was specifically for the Meccans, specifically for the Meccans, and this does not apply anywhere else. Anywhere else. Um, and this is just about the story of the Meccans betraying the agreement that they had with Muhammad. So you have to, if that's what this verse is, then this is a useless verse. What is it supposed to say for us? Like, is the Quran is supposed to just say, just be a story? Like, is it not, is it 
does that not does that not contradict the idea that the Quran is supposed to be teaching us something for us in the future? At the, much out of this battle, out of that uh, historical context, out of that story. So it cannot be just about that time, or else it's a useless story. Why is the Quran just supposed to be a storybook? Is it supposed to be like a movie that we watch just for in, entertainment and enjoyment? No. So, with that in mind, why would the verse be written like this? If Allah is not meant for me as a reader, as a Muslim, reading this verse, if I'm not supposed to understand that we're supposed to kill polytheists, like if, if I was Allah and I was reading this, uh, writing this, I wouldn't say kill polytheists wherever you find them. I would say, I don't know, Kill, if I wanted to make sure that Muslims reading this later do not come up with that interpretation, if, if that's not what I mean, I would say, well, kill these specific people who betrayed your agreement. Like, I think if, if you're a Muslim and listening to me, imagine how this would sound if you replace Mushrikeen with Muslims. When, and we were talking about I don't know, ISIS, for example, right? So let's say we had an I we had a recent ISIS attack, and now we want to go there, and there's a military operation, and you wanna you have it like a I don't know, US general or whatever, and they want to go and basically take them out. And the general came out and said, kill these, kill the Muslims. Again, YouTube, I'm not saying this, I'm against this. But, but I'm just trying to make a point here to just see how vile and horrible this is, right? Just replace Mushrikeen with Muslimin. Kill the Muslims wherever you find them. Just, just that. And let's say that you, you understand that this general is just talking about um, ISIS. It's not talking about... This is a, within the context of a battle that is taking place, right? There's two, there's two issues here. First of all, I think as a Muslim, you would see how problematic that language would be. E even if the general is not talking about... Um, it's not talking about Muslims in general. You would be like, why are you referring to this ISIS people? Why are you referring to them as Muslims? Would you... Do you not... Uh, be honest with me as a Muslim if you're watching... Would you not see that as a problematic way of talking about ISIS? Like, go kill Muslims wherever you find them. You wouldn't, as a Muslim, you wouldn't come and say, like, no, 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 there's no problem with what this general is saying. Look at the context in which this war is happening. The, he's, there's, an, there's an ISIS attack, and they're going, they're trying to go and take out this I, ISIS unit. This is not about all Muslims. I mean, don't be anti this general. Don't be against this general. Wouldn't you be, even if the general did not mean that we are fighting all Muslims, wouldn't you have a problem with his language and go tell him, do you understand the way you're speaking about this, what people could, inter the interpretation of your words could mean like we our war, our fight is against all Muslims. Again, we're talking about Allah, an all-knowing entity that is supposed to understand what it the interpretation of this verse could be. So either there's two two options here. Like you have either Allah would knows that this would be a justified interpretation. If you agree that the general saying kill Muslims wherever you find them is a it's either means that this general has a problem with all Muslims wherever he finds them, or he doesn't know how to speak, then that logic would apply to Allah as well. Either Allah doesn't know how to speak, or he completely understands a justified interpretation of his verse, a justified interpretation of his verse would be for me as a Muslim to read this and think, that I'm as a Muslim, it's my duty to go and kill Mushrikeen wherever I find them. It's one of these two. 
I mean, I could be argued. If you want to debate me on this, come and debate me on this. Again, my my tweets, my Twitter is open. I forgot to mention this at the beginning of the show. Please come and debate me. Go on Twitter. I open my DMs. Everybody, anybody could message me on Twitter right now. Come and tell me why this verse is okay. So I have two other verses. I'm not going to get into those now because I've, I've noticed that each one of these verses needs its own analysis. So I'm just going to focus on this verse today. So again, guys, I want Muslims to come and come on this show and tell me why I'm wrong about this verse. Why am I wrong? Do you not see as a, if as a Muslim, you would agree that if a U.S. general comes and says that kill Muslims wherever you find them, you would have a problem with that. Either this general is an idiot that doesn't know how to speak, even if he didn't mean that I'm against all Muslims, then he's an, he's an idiot that doesn't have basic communication skills, or he's a general that really wants to show aggression against all Muslims. It's one of these two. So that logic will apply to your Allah as well. Either Allah doesn't know how to communicate, doesn't understand that this language will give us a justified conclusion that we're supposed to be murdering every single mushrik. Again, I don't say idolaters because I don't think idolaters or polytheists really captures what the Quran is trying to say here. It's either so either your God is stupid lacks basic communication skills or your Allah genuinely is inviting Muslims to show full-on aggression against mushrikeen, against whoever associates partners with Allah unless they submit to Islam. See, the condition here again is not for you to show to uh, for you to not show aggression. That's not the condition. I'm willing to debate this verse and any other verse about jihad with any Muslim that has some basic communication skills themselves. Like I don't, I don't want to talk to people that are don't know how to come and talk to me live on air. You need to have good internet, good internet connection. You need to have a decent mic, um, and you need to be able to speak properly. So, so, and then that's the only, that's do and and also abide by YouTube community guidelines or whatever, right? As long as you have these very basic conditions, meet these basic conditions, come because again, I think a lot of Muslims are cowards because they don't come here and talk to me. They they're in the live chat, they're in the comment section, they're on Twitter, just telling me like, oh, Armin, you don't understand, blah blah blah. I'm like, okay, well then come teach me, come debate me, and then don't show up. I think they know if you if you are seeing me inviting you to come and talk to me and you don't take that opportunity to come and teach me something about Islam that I'm not understanding here, then to me, a lot of the times, this is an, it's because you know that your Islam is not defensible. This verse is not defensible. You, you, it's, you're embarrassed by your religion. The reason why you're not coming and talking to me is because you're embarrassed about your religion. You're, ca you're a coward. You know your Islam is weak. You know your Quran is pathetic. You know your religion is violent. You know your religion is inhumane. You know your Allah is a monster. You know your Muhammad is a criminal, is a war criminal. And that's why you are too, you're spineless and you don't come here and stand in front of me and tell me that I'm wrong. If, if I'm wrong about that, just use this opportunity. Just tell, just use, just message me on Twitter. Again, search for Armin Navabi on Twitter. You should be able to find me. Message me and come and debate me about this verse. And again, there's two other verses that I want to go through later or maybe on future shows. But this is this verse for now. And uh, let me see. We have another super chat from Blade. Blade saying, Quran without abrogation is a mess since there are three verses for alcohol intoxicants. Without abrogation, it would pick the first verse to drink alcohol. Uh, thank you so much, Blade, for the super chat. And Test is also giving us a $1 super chat with no messages. Thank you so much for the support. 
So I want to let me know, guys, if, if you want me to basically destroy verse each verse of the Quran like this for you guys, like just take it apart and analyze it to death like this. I don't think that that many people go through these words like this with you, like spend so much time looking at the different arguments, looking at the difference, looking like I just spent time on one verse. I just took it to pieces, analyzed the crap out of this verse. I don't think there's any excuse for anyone uh, to to come up with. I don't think any based on what we've seen here, there's anybody could come up with any excuse to suggest that this is not a problematic verse. Even if the Quran, even if the Quran is not suggesting that we should be killing mushrikeen, that means the Quran is at best a horrible way for Allah to communicate with his followers. So basically the conclusion of today is uh, is at best the Quran is a, a God's failed attempt to communicate with his followers, and at worst, it means exactly what it seems it means here, which is for Muslims to take the message out of this verse. Uh, the message that they're supposed to be taking out of this verse is to f fight the unbelievers, fight the mushrikeen. Fight the people who associate partners with Allah wherever they find them and kill kill them wherever they find them unless they submit to Islam. Again, that unless they submit to Islam part is, is key because a lot of people say think that the Quran says fight them unless they unless they stop fighting. You know, we have earlier verses that kind of suggest that, but again. This is a later verse, which kind of abrogates everything else that came before it. And oh, a key important thing that I need to add. Um, this is not just me saying. Um, there are tafsirs. So here. Let me actually show you this to... Tafsirs. Okay. So again, I'm not... So by the way, Tafsirs are interpretation of... Uh, by Islamic scholars. So these are some classical commentators on this verse. Let's see what they have said. Okay. So... This is by Ibn Khatir or Kathir. Ibn Kathir. Ibn Kathir is a very famous um, com uh, tafsir com uh, commentator on the Quran, right? So he is, if you don't agree with this tafsir, that means you basically are, I don't know. Um, you're not you're dismissing the whole point of having Quranic tafsir, right? Like I don't know what else to tell you, right? So here, actually, let me take that back. I'm not gonna say these two tafsirs are correct. I'm just saying, given that these are tafsirs where, where that a lot of Muslims take seriously, that means that these are justifiable tafsirs. Like it's justifiable for your interpretation to be the same as the, these two people. So let's look at this one. Uh, again, this is referring to the verse that we just read. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so it says, This holy verse is the verse of the sword, which uh, I, I wish I had the Arabic names because it would be re easier for me to read the Arabic version of these names. Um, yeah, said of it, Verily has its Verily, it has withdrawn every covenant treaty between the Prophet, Allah's prayer and peace be upon him, Allah's prayer and peace be upon him, and between any mushrik, polytheists or not Muslims, every covenant and every bond of um I okay. So let me read the Arabic version because the Arabic is a let me see the name. Yeah. Zah. Uh, okay, so basically what this 
um, Tafsir by Ibn Kathir is saying is that this verse bring basically dismisses all the other verses that came before it. So when Muhammad said, like, for example, if you show me earlier verses where Muhammad told, uh, when, when Muhammad was told by Allah that fight them un, until they stop fighting, those were the agreements, those were the understanding that we have had. This basically uh, throws it all away. It, it withdrawn every other covenant or treaty between the Muhammad and Allah. And again, if you want to look at people, a lot of Muslims say, like, Armin, you, you have to read all of the Quranic verses in context. Well, if you read the entire, all of this in context, you see that when Muhammad didn't have the upper hand, like the, the, all the verses where it tells you to fight the non-Muslims unless they don't fight you, if you look at the context in which those verses came, is when Muhammad didn't have the upper hand. But if you look at this verse, this verse that we just read you, right? Um, where it tells Muhammad to fight the non-Muslims unless they submit to Islam, that verse came in at the time where Muhammad did have the upper hand. So if I want to be a Muslim and if I want to give, learn from the Quran with the context in mind, if I put everything together, if I want to truly take the context in mind, because that's what people tell me, take, keep, take the context in mind. That, that means that the only time that I should stop fighting because they're showing me non-aggression is when I don't have the firepower, when I am weaker than them. But if I can, if I am able to, if I have the uh, military superiority, if I, if I have the higher strength, if I can dominate over them, then the only time that I should stop killing them is when they submit to Islam. So let's look at, again, so this is Ibn Kathir, Tafsir Ibn Kathir. He is saying this verse basically completely throws away all the other treaties and covenants. Basically, this is given some, the, the whole concept of abrogation, this is somewhat re referring to that, this Tafsir. But let's look at another Tafsir. Again, I wish that was the Arabic version of these so I could read it more properly. Tafsir of al Qurtubi. Qurtubi. Again, I wish. Let me actually see if I could see the Arabic version so I could read it more properly. Qurtubi. Tafsir al Qurtubi. Okay, that's better. All right, so he says, fight the unbelievers. Again, look at this. So they are saying unbelievers. See, it says mushrikeen here. So if you saw in the translators, I, translations I showed you earlier, it says fight the idolaters. And idol that translation, again, makes it seem like it's very specific to the Qureshi idolaters, that, that, what that verse is referring to. But if you see the translation here, it says unbelievers. Because mushrik is technically whoever... Um, is associating partners with Allah. I'm a mushrik, for example, because I worship, because if I'm not worshiping Allah, I am technically, according to the Islamic standards, I'm technically worshiping something. Basically, worship can be translated into prioritizing or following anything. So mushrik could be anybody who is not following Allah because they're following something else in their life. So fight the unbelievers, meaning a general decree, a general decree concerning every mushrik or polytheist. But the sunnah has narrowed its application in the declaration of Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 3, excluding women, monks, children, and other non-combatants. Non Wherever you find them, meaning a general decree for all places. So again, this guy. This tafsir, which is again a 13th century uh, Quran work of uh, Quran exegesis, which is a, by a classical scholar, which is Al Qurtabi. Uh, um, again, this is another person who speaks Arabic, eats Arabic, breathes Arabic, lives Arabic, 
And his understanding is that the only thing that is being narrowed down here, so if you, if you, is that you can't kill women and children, but you can't kill all the other unbelievers. He is specifically saying that this is a general dec decree. Again, if you, if you're, just read the t verse, you might think like, okay, as, Simply reading it, to me, it seems that God is telling you to kill all the Mushrikings everywhere. It's not a, about a specific war at a specific time. But you might, you might think to yourself, you know what? No, I am, I don't, I'm not a scholar. I don't speak Arabic. I'm wrong. I know the verse seems like it's telling me to kill all, all non-Muslims everywhere I find them. But this might be based on my misunderstanding. Obviously, somebody who is more knowledgeable in Arabic and Islam would have a different interpretation. Well, I'm showing you somebody who had, who was supposed to be more knowledgeable, and that's what they are telling you. Not, yeah, this is a general decree. And e even if I didn't show you the scholar telling you this, you have to understand that the Quran itself tells you that this book has come for all men. Uh, in, and and it's clear and it's easy to understand. This the Quran had the Quran is not a book that has come for the educated, for the scholars. The Quran is a book that is supposed to come for everybody, including the goat herder, the barber, the anything. You know, you're not supposed. It, this is the Quran did not say like I came to you so that you have to get like five uh, degrees in um, Arabic literature and Islamic history for you to be able to understand these verses. So when you when I read it as a layman, it seems like God is telling me to kill all non-Muslims everywhere I find them. But I'm like, okay, let's say that the Quran was only revealed for the ulama, and the ulama are supposed to tell me. The ulama means Islamic scholar. They're supposed to tell me what this means. Well, we have an ulama. We have somebody who is exact. Their job is exactly that, who's read write the tafsir, and he is telling you that this is the general decree. And then if you keep reading it, it seems like oh no, he's telling you that this is it has narrowed the application. So when you read it, like it's a general decree concerning every mushrik, all the mushrikin, not the mushrikin specifically at that time. That's what the tafsir is telling you. And then it continues, it says, but the sunnah has narrowed it, its application. The sunnah means like the way of the prophet, the teachings, the actions and teaching of the prophet has narrowed it. Like, oh, good. So it's not for all mushrikeen. It's not for all the uh, people who associate partners with Allah. In the, in the declaration of the surah, Bagara, uh, so saying in, this, in, this, in the sunnah that is surrounding another verse in the Quran, his, it, it's made it clear that the narrowing of the verse, this you're not supposed to basically kill women, monks, and children or other non-combatants. So you are allowed to kill men of fighting age. So you can't kill the women, you can't kill the children, and you can't kill the monks. So basically, I, for example, would be okay to kill. Right? I'm a mushrik, like a lot of the men here who are of fighting age, you are, uh, this verse will apply to you. It says this is a meaning, a general decree for all places, all places, not specifically at that war. And here's the thing, um, women and children are valuable as well. So these are, they could be sold into slavery as we saw like a lot of Muslims, for example, take pride in the fact that when Muhammad killed all the Jews of Banu Gareza, he didn't kill all of them. He spared women and children. Well, killing women makes absolutely no sense. It's not out of the kindness of their heart that they're not killing the women and children. But Muhammad did to the women and children when he killed all the men was sold the women and children into slavery. And you know why would you kill? Why would you destroy assets? Why would you destroy valuable property? Valuable property. Like if you defeat your enemy, 
would you kill the donkey? The donkey is not going to fight you. This is how the value of women in Islam. You're not going to kill the donkey because the donkey is not going to kill you. You can sell the donkey. Why would I kill the goddamn donkey? So the way, the same way it's been looking, there's no utility in killing the women and children. There's profit in them and there's no benefit in killing them. But I don't like also the understanding, the, the whole idea of devaluing men as if it makes it okay then. Like, oh, we're not killing women and children. Oh, okay, just the men then. Just the men. Who cares about the men? For you, for those of you who actually do think that killing men is as vile and disgusting and kill, as killing women, understand that this applies to what this tafsir is telling you is that this verse was not just about that war at that specific time. This is the general decree for all places. And even if this tafsir is wrong, even if this tafsir, if this guy is wrong, this Islamic scholar is wrong, what this Islamic scholar is showing you is that it's a justifiable reading of this verse. At least it's a justifiable reading of this verse. Yeah. Somebody saying, who is of uh, fighting age? Whoever that, ha that has pubic hair. According, we saw in the Sirah of Muhammad, but when it comes to the Banu Gareza, and we also have a hadith surrounding this. Um, if you have pubic hair, then you are okay to kill, according to Islam. And we know that many boys get their pubic hair by age, I don't know, 12, 13. So that would be, that's, a, that's an adult, according to Islam. So that's how, that's how you figure it out. By the way, guys, there's a lot of hadith. There's a whole bunch of other uh, verses that I could evaluate here. And there's also a lot of hadith that makes it very, very clear about how aggressive Islam is. Islam is not, you know, the jihad in Islam is not about defense. It's only about defen defense when um, they don't have the power. But when they do have the power, when Islam, when Muslims do have the power, Islam completely teaches you to go on aggressive mode, even if they're not fighting you. Uh, there's a plenty of hadith that shows this. There's other Quranic verses that show this. And again, I understand there are other Quranic verses that makes it seem like it's defensive. But please understand that those verses were, came at the time when Muslims did not have the upper hand. Let me know. Uh, if you want me to analyze other verses and other hadiths, that makes it very clear because the Islam is spreading among a lot of non-Muslims are now converting to Islam because of their lack of understanding about how horrible this religion is. And I think like there are already a lot of good short videos that tells you, goes into like boom, 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 gives you like the basics that you need to know. But going into this level of detail and analyzing one single verse um, spending an hour on one single verse, there's not that many p places that do that. So I think that if, if you see value in that, like the stream, recommend the stream, leave a comment telling, tell me in the comment section that you want me to do more of this um, because it's, it's truly a threat. Islam is right now truly a threat, not just in Islamic countries, but also in Western countries. We need to be able to get a better understanding of what we're dealing here and also equip more people and to be able to have the enough knowledge and enough um, understanding to be able to respond to people who are trying to make it seem like this is an okay ideology to accept, especially in Western countries. And again, another thing I could do is debate people who disagree with me. Con please contact me on Twitter. And I think a lot of you won't because I think you know that I will win. A lot of you know that you cannot defeat me because it's so obvious that I'm right. And it's so obvious that you as a Muslim, you're wrong about this verse. You you either know that I'm... Yeah, if you try to act like this is a peaceful religion, I think you know that I will crush you. That's why you're so afraid to come and contact me. And that's why you, you won't. You're afraid. You're embarrassed. You are you you know that you are not able to come and talk to me because if you do, you will embarrass yourself and your religion. And you're terrified of embarrassing your religion. That's why you won't come talk to me. And be afraid. Because, and be embarrassed. You should be embarrassed if this is your religion. You know? We will wipe out this religion. Your religion does not belong in the, in the modern age. This is 
This is barbaric. It's a shame. You, it's a shame that we still have to deal with this. You're holding us back. You're holding humanity back. You're, you're disgusting for having this religion. Your religion is embarrassing. And the fact that you don't come and talk to me shows to me that you are embarrassed about your religion and you are weak and you are pathetic and you do know that I will crush you. You do know that I will embarrass you. You do know that I will defeat you. And you not contact me, contacting me is just an admission to that. So I'm glad that you're embarrassed. You know, you deserve being embarrassed. So, oh, okay. Thank you, Kenny, for the super chat. I really appreciate that. And also thank you, Tess, for the super chat as well. Again, one last time I will mention to anybody, any Muslim who's watching, my Twitter DMs are open. Go on Twitter, search for Armin Navobi. My name is right here. Okay, just go there. Anybody could message me on Twitter. Tell me that they uh, come and tell me that you want to talk to me. I, I will probably would like to see uh, a, a short video of you to, to see that you know how to speak, how to debate. Or you can send me, a, if you don't have a video anywhere, you can send me a video of yourself or an audio of yourself telling me what you want to debate, which verse, and how, you, you know, then we'll set up a time. I just want need to hear that you're somebody who cap is capable of speaking. Um, and then we'll, we'll go from there. And I also need to make sure that you have good, um, stable internet and a good microphone. That's all I need. All right, guys, don't forget to like the stream. Don't forget to recommend our channel. Um, and don't forget to leave me a comment telling me that you want more of this. Uh, yeah. Oh, thank you, Soha. Soha, link to my Twitter in the live chat. All right, guys, bye.